Okay. Well, um, I mean, she's not here, but I have to say thank you to Tracy for starting the preach off along the route that I was going to go. So that's always encouraging when God speaks to somebody else and says things that, you know, have been on, on my heart too. Um, we're coming towards the end of our current series, Lost and Loved. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. We've looked at um, the state that we're in. We're lost. We're apart from God, but God loved us. And um, today we're going to look at our response to God's love for us and, and what we ought to be doing. And we're going to go through the very well-known story of the Good Samaritan and hopefully pull out some bits and pieces that you might not have seen before. Um, I've certainly seen some things afresh as I've gone through it, which, is, uh, which has been good. Um, but let's pray first. Father, I thank you that you uh, sent your son to die for us on the cross. Lord, I thank you um, that you're alive. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive, you rose, um, you paid that price for us that we might have relationship with you, that even this morning that we might express our love um, and our adoration towards you because you deserve it. And uh, Lord God, I just ask that you'd help me uh, go through this passage, Lord, that there wouldn't be a sense of um, we know the story, we know how it turns out, um, but Lord, that you would show us afresh things that perhaps we hadn't uh, grasped before, um, but more than that, Father, that you would change us to be a church that is on the front foot, as Tracy so helpfully uh, talked through um, with, that, with that lady at school, to, to be going and having conversation, to be going and reaching out um, to those that are our neighbours. Amen. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a good neighbour? Have you ever wondered what a neighbour is? Um, uh, I don't know about you, I, I, as, a, as a relative youngster, Neighbours was a TV series that we uh, got into. We watched the very first episode, people are going at me, but um, we watched the very first episode, um, it was slightly risque, my mum said, there's no way we're watching this again, uh, it's, it's, it's not good, it's not helpful, um, and six months later we're watching it every day. Um, but Neighbours... Neighbours, um, and if I say that word, it's going to bring certain ideas into your head. It's going to bring certain things into your mind as to what a neighbour is. In this series, we've um, established that we're lost, we're apart from God because of what happens uh, in the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve. Um, God has made a way through Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, that we might spend eternity with him. Um, and this passage that we're going to go through... It's more than a set of instructions in terms of how we're to behave. It's more than do this and you'll be okay. And you'll see that as we go through that. This passage highlights and points to our view and our attitude towards God. As we go through, I, I, I really do hope that you're, you're thinking, you're thinking, actually, what's my attitude towards God? More than how can I be a good neighbour or how can I do good to that person? What's my attitude towards God? Do you love him? Do the actions that you take spring from that love that you have towards him. I mean, Tracy, I mean, I, I'm so thankful that she said this because it's made it very much easier for me to kind of lead in. But her desire was out of, uh, out of a love for God to talk to that lady. Her desire to comfort that other lady that she was talking about was out of her love for God. It didn't come out of a, shall I do some good things? Shall we do some good, you know, some good things today? We are called to do that, but it's more than that. We want to see... Ashford change, don't we? We want to see the fabric of this town change. We want to see our schools change. We don't want to just sit back and go, 
we did some good stuff. We did some things that were okay. We did some things that maybe meant a bit, that made us feel okay. We want to see people's lives change. So when we pray for growth here, when we talk about two meetings and we talk about wanting to you know, head towards a certain number, we're not doing that because numbers are good. We're doing it because we believe God's going to save. So if you can turn with me in your Bibles, uh, Luke 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke, New Testament, and uh, verse 25, we're going to go through to verse 37. It's a story I'm sure you know well. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, that's the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, that's the law again, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So this, as I said, it's a well-known passage. We're going to work our way through from the start of the passage, um, we're going to pull out some points towards the end. So six things I think we can learn from what the Samaritan did, and then we'll look very briefly at three barriers to being a good neighbour. Now, the Lord asks a question. He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and it's more than just a question. He's actually stood up. And in, in the, the context of setting it had been in, he'd have been sat down listening to Jesus. And at this point, he's stood up and he's gone, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So, He's starting off on, on a, I guess, on the front foot. He's, he's asking some bold questions. I'm not entirely sure that he's prepared for the answers that, that come, but he's asked this question. Now, some have said that the law is asking about salvation by works. You know, if I do enough or if I follow these things, will I get to heaven and will I inherit everything um, that, you know, that God has for me? Perhaps he wanted a set of actions, a set of rules. Um, you know, if I do this, do that, if I can tick that box... If I can go to the playground, tick that box, say I've spoken to that person, I'm done, I'm sorted. And it's so important that if you take anything away from this morning, you take away it's about attitude. It's about your heart towards God. It's not about saying I've done that or even I haven't done that. You know, God is so gracious to us. When we mess up and we go and try and have that conversation with the person on the playground and we bottle it, it's okay. But God wants us to do that. He's he's willing us to, to get in there, have those conversations. Now, I think the lawyer had also misunderstood grace. In asking this question, he'd misunderstood grace. And there is grace, isn't there? When we mess up, there's grace for us. And Jesus responds by asking a question back. Rather than just giving an answer that would you know, appease the lawyer, he gets the lawyer to actually think through some things. 
what do you think about this? What does the law say? He points the, the lawyer back to what he would know best. And I think there's, you know, there's, a, there's a challenge to us here. When people ask us difficult questions, when um, I, I'm sure Tracy will get asked some difficult questions, you know, what's heaven all about? How did this boy go to heaven, come back again? It's a good book, by the way, if you haven't read it. Um, how did he go to heaven, come back again? You know, what, where's that in the Bible? And uh, there'll be some challenges there. And I guess my challenge to you is how often do you go back to the Bible when people put difficult questions in front of you? Uh, I've got to commend Mr. Burgess to you. He knows his Bible. And uh, I don't say that so that, you know, you can go and congratulate him, slap him on the back. But he knows his Bible. We have this uh, little sort of in-joke. We were travelling up to Ipswich one day and uh, Richard likes a tricky question. He likes to ask a tricky question. I'm not certain about... No, maybe he does. Um, and he asked this question just as I, and I was driving, just as we were turning off the M25, I think to go up the A12, and it threw me so much I almost missed the turning. But the point in Richard asking that question was really to challenge me and the other guys that are in the car as to what we thought and how we could justify what we thought. So he asked the question, and I, I can't remember for the life of me what the question was, but it was, it was a difficult one. And uh, I think Matt Mallett was in the car and, and, you know, we were responding. Richard was saying, but what does the Bible say about this? And what does, but if you read the text that way, what does it say about that? And I think, you know, and it's something I, I struggle with in terms of time. How much do you read the Bible? How much do you get in there? How much do you soak it in? How much do you spend time in that? And, and we, we need to use the Bible as a, as a means to, to counter, but also to provide the answers that people have for, for the difficult questions. Um, Carl runs a course, Christian Chan Wrapped. If you're looking in, if you're not too sure about what the Christian faith is, attend the course. You've got May 26th. May 26th, new course starting. The sort of questions that they'll go through, and it's, it's a, ask the question, ask any sort of question, in and around what's being discussed, and, and you'll go through it. Um, questions like the Bible. Is it reliable and historically accurate? You've got to start there if you're going to rely on the Bible. Um, evolution or creation, which one's true? If God exists, why is there so much suffering? What about other religions? Do all roads lead to God? What's the Christian message? Is there any proof for the resurrection? Now, the next series that we're going to be getting into is on Proverbs. And there is a depth of wisdom there. There's a depth of, of, um, I suppose, instruction for life. Things that we can live by. And, um, you know, we'll be getting onto that in in, in the next next few uh, weeks and months um, and I think you'll probably be surprised by how much of Proverbs is in everyday use in terms of language and, and particularly the King James Bible, how much everything has just come into to, you know, to, to everyday language. And there's stuff for us to live by. So I'd encourage you, get into the Bible. Again, you're under grace. It's not I've got to do my 10 minutes every day. Just get in there whenever you can. I know life's busy. You know, I would attest to that. It's difficult to read app on your phone, whatever it may be, get into the Bible. Now, the lawyer knew the law. He responds um, uh, with an answer, and that answer comes from um, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, in the, um, the, the footnotes of the, um, the ESV Study Bible, um, it, says, it says this, which is, and it's always good to read those bits. They're in there for a reason. It's helpful to read those as well. It says this, that the Lord alone is Israel's God. 
leads to the demand for Israel's exclusive and total devotion to him. All Israelites, in their total being, are to love the Lord. This is the great and first commandment, Matthew 22, verse 38. In this passage in Luke, Jesus also includes mind. But in the early Hebrew, what we'd have read in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, heart included what we call the mind, and might indicates energy and ability. So they were to love the Lord with all of their minds and energy and ability. And again, a challenge for you guys. Do you, do you love God with all of your energy and ability? You know, God, God's given all of us different abilities. Um, you know, if we, if we surveyed the congregation, you know, people would say, I, I'm, I, I, can play instrument, I can't play an instrument for, for toffee. I am not a musical person. Um, there are those that can, can draw. There are those that are good at managing. There are those that are good at teaching. There's a whole wide, uh, you know, expression of, of God's creativity in us. You know, each of you have different abilities. Now, there's a, um, a question here that the law responds with. It says, who's my neighbour? Who's my neighbour? Um, it's good also to note here that the, the, the word that's used for neighbour doesn't imply close proximity in difference to a verse right at the beginning of Luke where um, Elizabeth's sharing the good news and, and her neighbours and friends come around. Those are people that are close. But the word for neighbour here doesn't imply, you know, the person that lives across the road or the person that lives next door to me. The word here for neighbour speaks of community, a fellowship. So our neighbour is someone that I interact with, somebody I spend time with, part of my community. For me, that could reasonably entail everybody in Willsborough. It could be everybody that's in Park Mall. It could be everybody at St Mary's School. You know, it's anybody that I come into contact with. Now, going back to the, to, to the I guess, the notion of salvation by works, it, it's... Having got this, you know, I, I, can see, I hope you can see as, as the Lord is going through this, he's asking questions, he's getting an answer, but then he's been provoked again, and then he's asking another question. I think he's trying to tick things off as he goes through this. Um, Daryl Box says this about salvation by works, and, and again, it talks to attitude. The answer that's given doesn't defend righteousness by works. Jesus' approval of the answer in the next verse comes because at its heart, the answer is an expression of total allegiance and devotion that in other contexts could be called faith. At the heart of entering the future life is a relationship of devotion, a devotion that places God at the centre of one's spiritual life and responds to others in love. The depth of one's devotion is emphatically underlined by the repeated reference to the various parts of the person that contribute energy to this love. Heart, soul, strength and mind, the whole person contribute to this response. Now Jesus demands all of us yeah, it doesn't demand us on a, on a Sunday morning. It doesn't demand us some time for small group. He demands all of us. That's our response to him. He, uh, God gave uh, in totality to us by giving his son entirely for us on the cross. And our response back to him is to give ourselves completely back to him. Now, are there areas in your life where you haven't given God total reign? Perhaps it's the job that you do. Perhaps you hang on to your job and you say... This job is for me. This is what I'm called to do. This is my thing. God, I, I, actually, I know you're kind of prodding me towards another job or perhaps another, uh, another company or, or maybe a completely different change, but I'm going to hang on to the job. Perhaps it's the place that you live. Perhaps it's where, your kids, uh, where you want your kids to go to school. But if you're a member of Gateway, you're part of a body. You're in all of this together. You know, so in thinking about self, 
you've got to recognise that in actual fact we have to think about others because we're all joined together. We're all in this together. We should joyfully serve. And, and we, we talk about serving a lot here. We talk about, um, you, know, you know, sign yourself up on the road to be a member of Gateway, sign yourself up for a team. It's good to get in the habit of putting others before yourself, of, of, of doing that. And, you know, we'd also be the first to say, don't burn yourself out. Don't do too much. But there's a reality here. For, for church to work, for this all to happen on a Sunday, um, tons of stuff has to happen. You know, the PA team, musicians, um, projector, kids workers, tea, coffee, stewards, um, set up. There's so much that goes on on a Sunday to make it easy for us to walk in, come straight into worship, come straight into worship, worship God, listen to whoever's speaking, have some tea and coffee and go home. There's so much that goes on. And I'd encourage you, if you're not part of a team, get signed up to one. It should also be true with our finances. The money that we have is, is given to us by God, and he only demands 10% of it. Now, we can get hung up on the, is that before tax or after tax? And again, it's not about the number. It's about the attitude. It's about the attitude that you have in terms of your giving. It should be, God, 10%, that's the first 10% go to you. One of the things that... Um, that, that we've always done is, is, to, is to give as soon as we've been paid. Now, we've got a little lax in that and late, but that's a, that's a good principle. I get paid, I give it, because it's the first fruits to, to, to God. It's also interesting that when I was, uh, before I was married, the months that I would forget to give, that money would go on something else. My car would break down. I'd have an unexpected bill. It's funny how that happens, and that's not, again, that's not a, it's not a rule, it's not something that if you don't tie, that will happen, but it's, it's again, you know, God wants, uh, he wants us to recognise our dependence upon him. You know, we are dependent upon him. The reason that I'm stood up here breathing right now is because God's permitted, permitted me to breathe, that's the reality of it. Now, given all of that... Um, given all of that that's gone on in terms of heart attitude, in terms of the lawyer being pushed and pressed, you might think that that would be enough. You might think he might kind of quit at this point and say, okay, I get it. I know what I've got to do. It's totality. It's everything. I've got to, I've got to love God. I've got to do this. You might think he'd, he'd have stopped there. But he carried on. And he asked, who's my neighbour? Now, it might seem like an innocent question. Um, Jewish law would have said only to apply love to people of the covenant. But there's a clue in the verse. It says... The lawyer desiring to justify himself. It's almost like a question that he doesn't want an answer to. He wants to say, I know what's going on here. I know what the answer is. I'm going to ask who's my neighbour because I think I've got the answer set. Um, and little does he know he's going to have it completely turned on his head. Um, my son with, with football asks questions that I don't know that he always wants the answer to. He loves football. He lives and breathes football, um, whether it's playing it, watching it. Football's his thing. And so when we have conversations about great football players, you know the ones that I mean, um, I think the question that he wants answered is, you know, in terms of when he asks, how did they get to that point? I think what he, what he really wants to hear is, it's natural talent. They didn't do anything about it. It was completely natural talent. There was no effort involved. Uh, they happened to, to be scouted and got signed up. And lo and behold, I'm playing for Barcelona, Real Madrid, Tottenham, other teams, other teams to be, yes, Tottenham. Um, got to keep getting that one in. Um, there's going to be much grace for next season, I feel. <laughs> Even more grace for others who aren't in the room right now whose team may be relegated. But, um, but I, think, I think the answer that um, 
my son wanted was, you know, it's, it's easy. You know, there's, there's no effort involved. It's just, a, it's an easy thing. And he asked that question, not really wanting to hear the answer, which is, no, actually, you've got to practice. If you want to be as good as, you know, whoever, you need to practice. There are players that I think, you know, we look at in football and we go, yes, they're gifted. You've got to have some ability. You know, hard work doesn't get beyond having no ability. But in this particular case, hard work's required. And that, that's the answer, I don't think, um, my son particularly wants to hear. And I think in the same way, the lawyer wanted clarification so he could do less. In asking if there was a neighbour, he's kind of asking, is there such a thing as a non-neighbour? So can I limit the people that I have to follow this commandment to? Are there people that I can be a non-neighbour to? And Jesus tells this story. Now, there's a man travelling on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this particular road, it's a tough, tough road. The um, the sort of the height change uh, in terms of this road is something like the height of Snowdon down to ground over 17 miles, rocky terrain, difficult um, caves, all sorts of stuff around where people uh, you know, hide and, 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 and spring out and rob. And so in some respects it's unsurprising that this guy was attacked. He was left in a serious state. He was beaten, stripped and left half dead. He was fighting for his life. What would your response have been to this man? What would you have done if you'd seen this person in dire need? And there were three responses. The first is the priest, and he comes upon this man, and he passes to the other side. And it's possible that he feared becoming ceremonially unclean. He feared that you know, his job, his role, would, would you know, in effect would preclude him from touching this person in case that person was dead. The Levite comes past. He may have had similar concerns to the priest, but he too passes by. And then we get to the Samaritan. Now, according to some commentators, the Samaritan would have been the last person that the lawyer would have expected as the story was being told. It would have been priest, Levite, Israelite. That was the, the sort of the general form that these stories were told. The Samaritan to the Jews was the least respected of people. Eating with a Samaritan would have been the equivalent of a Jew eating pork. A big no-no. Don't do it. Don't go near them. And in this story... And this is the bit of the shocker for the, for the lawyer. It's the despicable Samaritan that helps rather than the exemplary Jew. The Samaritan binds his wounds, treats them, puts the man on his animal, takes him to, to an inn. He pays two days' wages. And that was enough to take care of the man for about 24 days, according to the rate for looking after a, a poor man at that time. And it's more than just 24 days. It's 24 days of care and anything else beyond that. Jesus' question back to the lawyer was, which one's the neighbour? And the lawyer responds, clearly the man who reached out to the one in need. And Jesus' command to go and do likewise was an ongoing instruction. He didn't say, go and do that one activity so you can pat yourself on the back and you're done, you've made it. It was continue to do it. It was do it again and again. Uh, Daryl Box says this. He says, here's the essence of being a neighbour, having the sensitivity to see a need and act to meet it. And that's something we can all do, isn't it? We can see a need, and then we can act to meet it. Now, there are six actions performed by the Samaritan, some applications for us, and then we'll get into three barriers to being a neighbour. Action number one. The Samaritan approaches the injured man. We have to get involved in situations. Take the initiative. You can choose to let opportunities pass you by. 
Sometimes those opportunities are messy or dangerous. The lawyer thought he could limit his responsibilities through the questions he asked. He said, who's my neighbour? I don't actually, I want you to define neighbour for me, so it means I don't have to do anything with those people over there, or I don't have to do anything in terms of that action. The priest and the Levite believed that their responsibilities, their job responsibilities, precluded them from helping the injured man. So us approaching a situation, somebody in need, may involve you throwing off your preconceived ideas about who you should be reaching out to. There's a tendency, isn't there? Us as Brits, we can be very, you know, my home is my castle, my island, whatever the expression is, and we can say, I'm going to reach out to people that I naturally would feel a kinship towards. That can be the easier thing to do. And the challenge here is to reach out to people that we wouldn't naturally do so. You know, I I think, I imagine for, for, for Tracy, it wasn't an easy task to start that conversation in the playground. But there was an action that happened she actually got involved. She wasn't standing from, you know, 500 metres away shouting, do you want to talk? Do you want to get involved in this? Do you want to have some friendship? That's not a very neighbourly thing to do. Secondly, the Samaritan binds his wounds. Prayer is important. We've heard that today. Prayer is important. And in the same way, again with Tracy, she prayed, but there was action following. You may be called to do something entirely practical in meeting your neighbour's needs. Um, for us, um, when we moved into our house, Rachel uh, went and with Jack and, and dug the weeds of uh, one of our neighbours' front gardens. Um, because she was ill, she couldn't get out to do it. That's something, that's a practical action. There was no, uh, you know, sort of motivation in the sense of, well, we'll do this so that she can come to church. It was, we should do this because we love God. God loves us and therefore we ought to care for those around us. Thirdly, the Samaritan anoints with oil and wine. Oil was used to soothe the wound, where wine was used as a disinfectant. Sometimes, in the situations we're in, we'll need to get to the root of a problem. Sometimes we'll need to get in and treat stuff. We'll need to get in and help fix a problem. Sometimes it's more than just conversation. Sometimes we'll actually need to help. And I guess a challenge again, do you ever take a quick solution to a problem? I know that's my tendency. I tend to want to do the bare minimum and, and then move on. And it won't necessarily help the person or persons that you're uh, looking to help if you're going to do something quickly and then move on. You know, that sort of hit-and-run friendship or even hit-and-run evangelism. It's not a, not a good thing. Sometimes there's a place, isn't there, to say, do you know where you're going? There is a time and a place to say to people, do you know where you're going today? But we want to befriend people. Yeah, we don't want that to be the norm. There is a place for doing it, but we want to build friendship. We want to encourage people to ask the right questions. That's the point of Christianity Unwrapped, to provide an environment where people can ask questions that they need answers to. Number four, the Samaritan loads the man on his mule. There was effort there. There'll be effort involved in us. Again, I'm so thankful for Tracy. There's effort involved with her now because she's got to read this book. That wasn't something that she... Um, had planned to do she said she hadn't read the book but there's effort involved in us so when we commit to help somebody there's there's effort I don't imagine also that it was a particularly clean thing that went on picking this guy up that was half beaten probably covered in blood probably all sorts of stuff going on the the guy that helped him the Samaritan he got messy he had to get messy picked him up he probably got dirty smelly all that sort of stuff helping people being good neighbours is not always a clean activity. It's not always nice to do it. We need to be prepared to roll our sleeves up and get a little bit messy. 
Number five, the Samaritan takes him to an inn and pays for the man's costs. There'll be a cost to you. It may not be monetary. It may not be you putting money out. It may be time. It may be that you've got to give up some time. The Samaritan didn't do the bare minimum here. He ensured there was enough money to cover all of the injured man's needs and promised to pay if there was more required. When we help and reach out and take care of people, we need to make sure that we do a full job. Can you, can you imagine if Rachel had offered to do the garden and said, I'm going to do the front garden for a neighbour and then just did half of it and left the half and said, I'm done now. It doesn't really speak of love. doesn't speak of care and attention. It also says that we don't fulfil what we're saying with our mouth. So if we say something, we're going to commit to something, we ought to follow through on it. And six, the Samaritan provides care and comfort through the innkeeper. Sometimes, help's given through others. Just in case you're thinking, oh no, I've got all of this stuff to do now, I've got to commit loads of time, sometimes it's appropriate to say, actually, if I put you in touch with this person, this person can help. With things like CAP, yeah, we're not all cap money coaches. We're not all um, ex- expert in that. Sometimes it's appropriate to say, that problem you've got there with debt, let me put you in touch with somebody else who can help. So sometimes our offer of help is to point people in the right direction to the right person. Now, we're going to look at um, three barriers to being a neighbour. I've got a video to show. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll have a look at that. And then I'll uh, come back with some barriers to being neighbours. So I should say there are other beers available. That's not, not an endorsement. But be honest, when you, when you saw that video and you see that you know, cinema full of aggressive-looking guys, all of them got tattoos on, what would your thoughts have been? I think for the guys amongst us, we might have gone, yeah, actually, this isn't a movie. I didn't want, I didn't want to see this movie anyway. Let's go. Um, but it's a challenge, isn't it? So first barrier to being a good neighbour, fear of man. Yeah, there's, Tracy had boldness when she went and spoke to that person. It takes boldness, doesn't it? It takes courage to go and do something that you might otherwise have thought, but what are they going to say? But that person... I look at that person from the face and I, you know, in terms of the outside and I see something and I see how they are. What if they blow me off? What if they say, I'm not interested, I don't want to talk to you? you know, there's, a, there's a challenge to us. The priest and the Levite, I, I think, were fearful of what others might say. You know, for them to get committed to sorting that person out, they might have had to have gone beyond what their job and, and the rules that they live by entailed. Offering to help runs the risk of a refusal but we need to take that risk. We're called to love God, and in that, love others. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Psalm 56, verse 10 to 11, in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? We've got to hold on to those. You were saying at the beginning, you know, get into the Bible you know, there's stuff here not only for us to help people with their questions, but also to help us in our walk, in it, you know, help us in terms of how we are with people. The Bible says here, the fear of man lays a snare. You know, it's not a good thing. Snares are not good things. We shouldn't be fearful of man. I accept it takes boldness. Um, Rachel is much better at this than me. Much better at this, at being bold and talking to people that she doesn't know. Um, for the first time, she's much better at it than me. Second barrier, our priorities in life. What's important to us? 
house, job, salary? How do you make decisions about what to do or where to live? Are you seeking God in that? Um, there were a number of houses that when we, when we moved last time, hopefully it'll be the last time, um, that we said no to because there wasn't enough space for people to park cars for small group. And um, that might sound like an odd thing. It's like, so you were after a big drive. And it's like, well, not necessarily. We were just after places for people to park their cars. And there were some houses, there was one house I remember in Kennington, where we, we looked at the house and then we looked at the road and thought, and people have to park you know, half a mile away in order to come and visit us unless they were the lucky one person that got on the drive before the other people. And so it's important when you make decisions to frame it in the context of being a Christian, of being part of this church, of being about what God wants to do in this town, it's important to do that. Now, you know, again, just to be clear, that doesn't mean that, you know, God wants you to to live in the the smallest possible house. It just means that you frame your decisions in light of him, that you give it to God and you say, God, it's all yours. People looking at the house that we've got now and say, how did you get that house for the price? And I, I, I genuinely don't know. I don't know how we got the house that we got. But I do know that somebody said, God's going to give you a house where there's a stream at the bottom of the garden. And there is a stream at the bottom of the garden of this house. And now that wasn't necessarily in our mind to, to go after a particular house, but it worked. And we've got some great neighbours, probably the best neighbours we've, we've had ever anywhere we've lived. You know, and those guys uh, look out for us. We've got people on our street who will say, I haven't seen you for a while. Are you OK? How's your mum doing? You know, is there anything we can help? That happens. And that is that's a bit of a challenge and a provocation to us, or it ought to be, because that kind of activity ought to be how it is for small groups. Yeah, small groups, community groups, whatever we call them, you guys are in a community. You're in a group together. You need to be looking out for each other. You need to be caring for each other. And you may not be physically close to each other, but you're to be neighbours to each other. So you're to act neighbourly to each other. Last barrier to being a neighbour, our view of God. If we have love for God, true love for God, more than just turning up on a Sunday, more than just turning up to a small group, that should spill out. Again, that, I hope you got that from Tracy. Her love for God is spilling out in terms of the conversation she's having with people in the playground, in terms of her desire to see people comforted when they're going through difficult stuff. Can you imagine what Ashford would look like with a community of God-fearing God-loving Christians, sold out for him, and as a consequence, loving and serving those around us. I think there would be some change go on in this town. I really do. Some of you will hear, I I quite often pray, Lord, let this town be known for you, not for the train line. This town has has a name for the train line, and that's fine, but we want this town to be known for God and for what he's doing here in this church, in other churches. We don't have the monopoly on, on, on that. We want this town to be known for God. I'm going to finish with this quote from, from Daryl Bock. The outgrowth or outworking of our love for God is a response to our fellow humans. We're to love and be a neighbour to those who are part of our lives. That's pretty broad, isn't it? Neighbourliness is not found in a racial bond, nationality, colour, gender, proximity, or by living in a certain neighbourhood. We become a neighbour by responding sensitively to the needs of others. The Samaritan cared for a person he'd never seen before. Without asking questions, he served a cup of mercy to a person half dead. By reviving life, he showed life. 
If we seek to restrict those we serve, we need to hear the lesson Jesus taught the lawyer. The issue is not who we may or may not serve, but serving where need exists. We're not to seek to limit who our neighbours might be, rather we are to be a neighbour to those whose needs we can meet.